This is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent begins traditionally on Ash Wednesday this past week. And it is a season of about seven weeks that we walk through how we prepare ourselves for the truth of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. And as a community over the next seven um, messages, we're going to walk through something that is very pivotal in the crucifixion and resurrection story, and that is the seven words of Jesus on the cross. And if you've, um, if you've maybe heard uh, or over the, the history of your, your faith or your um, reading of scripture, seven times Jesus, while he was in the process of the crucifixion, a six hour process, he uttered words. And our hope is that over the next seven weeks, that we can look at those words and look at other scriptures that speak into some of the themes of those words. And we'll, we're going to start with a little bit of the negative perspective. What those words betray about where Jesus was in that moment. We can certainly imagine crucifixion wasn't an easy process for Jesus. In fact, I, I would hazard a guess to say that it was the most painful and challenging process that a human being has ever walked through. And over the course of those seven utterings on the cross, Jesus speaks to us about some of the hard things of life. And that yet, at, we know the end of the story, and the end of the story on Easter is the redemption, the resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ offered him, uh, offered through him to us, and his grace and the power to transform our lives. So we're going to, through Good Friday, think about those seven words and what they speak to us. This morning, we're going to begin with the first one, and the first one uh, this morning is about forgiveness. Jesus says um, in Matthew, or Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. We're going to look at this passage um, in light of Matthew 18, turn in your Bibles there, 21 through 35, which is a parable of Jesus about forgiveness. But I want you to, to think just very quickly with me about the context of Jesus uttering those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing um, when that happened. Now, some of you know the sort of uh, the, the mechanics of crucifixion, um, but just to clarify, um, Jesus was uttering these words at the beginning of the process. He had been ex escorted down the road of Jerusalem uh, called the Via Della Rosa, where there had been jeering and people yelling at him and calling him um, any number of names. Um, he had already been beaten. Um, he had a crown of thorns on his head. You can imagine by this time he was already weak. He'd certainly experienced pain over the, over the night um, previous as he was in the presence of um, his Roman jailers and um, also he went to the temple or he went to the, the temple rulers and the temple rulers also heaped um, curses on him and condemned him and even beat him. And in this moment, he gets led to the cross at Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And the process was, of course, that somebody had to attach him to the cross. You were attached to the cross, to the cross through nails. And often we think that the nails would have gone through the hands. We, we think, okay, they're going to go through the hands. Now, again, it's very difficult to tell um, from the scriptures, but certainly we know that historically you actually didn't get crucified by nails through your hands. And there was a reason for that. 
If you look at the skeletal structure of your hands, your hands have openings in the bones. If so, if they nail through the openings in the bones of your hands, there is a possibility over the course of your crucifixion that your hand would rip out, that the nail would tear, and you would no longer be hanging from your hand. And it's brutal, this is, this is grotesque, but it is the reality. Instead, that what they would do is there are two bones in your arm. They would find the space between those two bones and they would nail right here near your wrist. They would find the spot there because in order for you to be torn, those to be torn out, you would need to break bones. And that was much more difficult than just tearing flesh. So Jesus was laid upon a crossbeam and that crossbeam was, um, he was spread out upon it and there was a jailer or a soldier, and that was his job, to look, find the place for the spike, pointed in, and start nailing. That's the moment when Jesus claims these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. It's not a moment where, of respite. It's not a moment where he's been able to catch a breath. It's a moment of abject agony, of hurt, and also a moment that he had been anticipating literally for, for weeks. At the very least, we know at the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, he had prayed, um, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done for the simple reason that imagine the pain of that moment. So that's the context for Jesus saying these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. We want to look at this parable. This parable from Matthew 18 sets up a little bit more of an understanding of God's forgiveness and how we then are called by Christ in his example on the cross to live into forgiveness. Because I can tell you, as a person who walks through life with many families, many individuals, that one of the biggest poisons in many people's lives is the poison of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is one of those things that is a corrosive acid to your soul and to your heart. And unfortunately, it is also one of those things that many folks live into. Because it is hard to forgive, especially when you know that there are things in your life that are so painful, so hard. Someone you trusted so much and loved or cared for did something that tore you so deeply. It is so hard to forgive. So it's, it's easy to understand why unforgiveness is an issue. And that's the context in which we're entering in to this parable this morning. The parable begins with Peter asking Jesus this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now this utterance of Peter um, gives us a sense of something about humanity. And, and it's not that humans and humanity don't wanna forgive. In fact, Peter is saying I am willing to forgive, and I'm willing to forgive a lot. Seven times is uh, oftentimes at least six times more than most of us are willing to forgive. Amen? I mean, he's, he's 
giving room in his question of Jesus for a lot of forgiveness. If you think of somebody in your life who is wounded, who has hurt you, the first time it's relatively, well, hopefully, relatively easy for you to go through the process of forgiveness. But if they do the same thing again, it becomes a little harder. Now imagine that seven times. The same sin, the same wound, the same hurt, the same pain, seven times. And I'm trying to think in my mind, have I had to forgive seven times? I know my wife has had to forgive me that many times at least. But I, it's one of those things that as we think about it, Peter's question is not just, I don't want to forgive, it's... Um, I want to forgive a lot, but there's still a level of limitation that he puts upon it. In essence, he's asking, what's the limit of forgiveness? Where does it stop? When do we stop forgiving the same pain over and over again? Jesus' response says a lot. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Elsewhere, it will say seven times 77 or seven times 70. Jesus is in essence saying, as much as you think you are forgiving much, you haven't even begun. I am calling you to forgive much greater, much vaster, much wider, much bigger than you in your capacity think you're capable of forgiving. Jesus is calling for generosity of forgiveness. And really what he's saying to Peter is never stop forgiving. How many of you like that idea? How many of you find that really daunting? I do. I think about some of the some of the things that have happened in my life, or in some cases, I think about those sort of wounds that have been caused to others. And there are some wounds that I look at in the lives of others. I think of abuse of a child. I think of, of the sort of things that have happened in war zones. Certainly, we can think of some of the grotesque behavior of history. And can we continue to forgive boy that's hard stuff Jesus wants to clarify he wants to clarify to Peter and he wants to clarify to us so he jumps into a parable a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning a deeper teaching and Jesus tells his disciples this story verse 23 therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement, a man came to him who owed him 10,000 bags of gold and he was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master, he took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the servant 
owes the king some money. Now, if you have a study Bible with you or if you have a Bible with footnotes, you'll figure out really quickly that that's a big sum. In fact, I did some addition or did some multiplication or whatever that math thing is. I did that this week. And in today's wages, we're talking about at least $5 billion. We're not talking about $5 million, We're talking about $5 billion Because a bag of gold or a talent is actually equal to 20 years of wages of a day laborer. So I figured $100, $100 a day, multiply that out by 10,000 and all the stuff that goes along with it and you end up with about $5 billion. And that, of course that begs questions like how in the world did this guy get his hands on $5 billion? I mean, I don't know about you, I've had people ask me for money, like you can come to me for 20 bucks, I'm good for $20, maybe 100 if things are going really well, maybe a thousand. Five billion? Anyone, is there anyone that I can talk to to get someone to loan me five billion dollars? Unfortunately, we don't have the uh, Elon Musks or, or uh, Bill Gates in the room. They need Jesus, by the way, but that's, that's a whole other thing. It's a lot of money. And seriously, how many of you are also thinking, like, what was the king thinking? Anyone else think that? I do. Five billion dollars? Who loans somebody else five billion dollars? Well, I guess, you know, the United States government, but the, again, that's a bigger discussion that we're not going to go into. And yet, despite the fact that it's five billion dollars, the servant asks to, for patience, because he's going to pay it back, which again begs more questions. How are you going to pull that off? Because how many of you are able to come up with $5 billion in a, in a day, or a year, or let's be honest here, a thousand years? It's just not going to happen. But in response to his question, the king doesn't just give him patience. He gives him grace, Right? Gives him forgiveness. He doesn't just say, okay, I'll be patient. You can pay it back when you can, which would be already in it one of those huge blessings like, okay, I'm not under the hook right now. I can at least think about it for the future. The king does much greater than that. And he says to the servant, he says, not only am I giving you some time, in fact, I'm letting you off the hook. Completely. The greatest debt that anyone could ever imagine, and you are off the hook for it. Now, you're thinking this morning in light of forgiveness and that this message is about forgiveness, and you're thinking to yourself, wait, hold on. Does that mean that I keep on forgiving even when he hits me again for the hundredth time? When she touches me again for the thousandth time. When the words are said again and again and again and again and they hurt every single time. Are you telling me to forgive that? And that's where the rubber reads the road. And frankly, that's hard, isn't it, to think about? I mean, because then, in essence, we're beginning to ask ourselves, am I 
supposed to be a doormat? Am I supposed to be a doormat for somebody to continue evil, sinful behavior in my life and they can keep on wounding me. They can keep on doing those things. They can keep on messing up in my life and having impact on my life. Can they keep on doing that? And yes, forgiveness is there. But see, there's also something that we need to hear this morning. You and I are still allowed to protect ourselves. Let me, let me give you an example. So let's say, for example, that I have, a, I have a friend. And this friend, every time he comes over to my house, leaves with some of my stuff. Okay? Rifles through my cabinets when I'm not looking, says he's going to the restroom and instead goes, finds something valuable, throws it in his pocket or puts it outside. And I find out about it. And I find out about it and the first time I say, of course, I forgive you. I wish you would make restitution, but I'll forgive you. The second times it happens, I am a little bit more hesitant, but I say, I forgive you. I forgive you. The third time it happens, I say, I forgive you, but you know what? We're going to meet at your house now. (laughs) And I know that sounds trite, but there's a difference between being a doormat and setting some healthy boundaries in our lives. And we can, and in fact we should, when we interact with people around us who continue to cause us pain, think about those boundaries. Yes, we need to be generous in our forgiveness, but we also need to be wise and discerning in our relationships. But sometimes the best thing that you can do for a brother or sister or a friend or someone that you care for who is hurting you is to say, there are some things that need to change in our relationship. Yes, I will forgive your hurt. Yes, I will forgive your sin. Yes, I will forgive the pain that you caused me. But I will also be transformed in my behavior with you. And that's really important for us to hear. Because there are some who think in order to be godly, you let the same thing happen over and over and over again. I don't think that's godliness. In fact, I think that's foolishness. I think we are called by God to grow mature in our understanding of our relationships and live into relationships in better ways, in part because we love that person who is sinning against us enough to confront the behavior. We're caring for, loving a brother or sister who needs our love. So I hope that you can hear this message in light of that. The parable continues in verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, it's interesting to note that verse 28 
comes before the man's plea for mercy. So even before the man can say a word, the first servant goes up to him and grabs him by the neck. There is something in this man that is angry, that is unforgiving, that is hardened towards mercy and those people around him. And one of the big problems about the behavior of the servant in grabbing the man and being unforgiving is that it's a testimony, right? Do you see it? Do you see the testimony? Who sees it? Who sees the behavior? Who does? The other servants, right? The other servants see the behavior of the first servant and because they see this, they, they feel the injustice. They feel the hypocrisy. They feel the blessing that has been squandered. They just heard about the king who gave so much mercy to forgive $5 billion. And now this same person who had received the gift of so much mercy is now living in unforgiveness. And it was a testimony to those around the first and second servant that forgiveness had not had power in this man's life. I hope you and I can hear that as one of the most convicting part of the message. Part, it's one of the most convicting parts of the message. Why? Who here has been forgiven much? By the way, all of you put up your hand, okay? I see your mental hand because pastor said you want to do it, so you're not going to put all of us have been forgiven much. I'm, I'm actually going to assert we've been forgiven more than $5 billion. And when we can't forgive those around us, it is a testimony. It is a testimony that 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 you, a person who has received a generous forgiveness greater than can be thought of or imagined, is not capable now of forgiving those in your life. See, here's one of the worst testimonies in the world is a bitter, unforgiving Christian. Hear me here. If you are living in unforgiveness with someone in your life, it is a testimony to the world around you of how limited God's grace has been in its power in your life. God has forgiven you everything. He has forgiven me everything. And if I cannot receive that blessing for the incredible gift that it is in all of its fullness to take me from death into life, brokenness to wholeness, sickness into abundant health, if I cannot live in the light of that forgiveness by forgiving those around me, my testimony is hollow. Do I really believe in the grace of Jesus? Do I really? See, that's actually the greatest power of this whole parable. Let me share with you why as we continue, verses 31 through 35. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. Went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And get ready for the most convicting line of the whole passage. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh. If I am a person of unforgiveness, if I am a person who cannot show mercy on others who have caused me pain, then I hazard the forgiveness of my father. Oh, and let me add to that. That includes forgiving yourself. That includes forgiving yourself. And see, I know that this morning there are people here for whom that is infinitely more difficult than forgiving someone else. It's to forgive what you have done. Forgive yourself for being the fool you were, the addict you were, the prideful, selfish person that you were, the abuser you were, the gossip, the person who has caused pain, the imperfect parent, the imperfect spouse, the imperfect child. To forgive ourselves is also a part of this process. If you and I cannot forgive ourselves, then we hazard the forgiveness of the Father because we're not living and understanding and receiving and being transformed by grace. And that's really hard. It's one of the reasons why, friends, unforgiveness is that poison, that corrosive acid in the hearts, minds, and souls of many, because to do so means allowing the fullness of grace, undeserved, you're not perfect, the other is not perfect. They may not even being, be willing to confess and repent of their sin. But remember, God's grace has been so big and so wide and so vast in yours and in my life that God has forgiven even the worst of our sins. He has forgiven sins already that you haven't even committed He has forgiven all, not just of yours, but everyone in this room, which is big. He has forgiven all the sin in this room through the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ. And he's also forgiven all the sin of Redlands, 80,000 to 100,000 people. He's also forgiven all the sin of San Bernardino County, of the state of California, which we know is vast, right? Out of that United States and then North America and then the world and then all of creation. When Jesus is laying on the cross beam 
And the soldier is searching for the spot between his bones to nail him to that sin-carrying cross. And Jesus utters the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He's forgiving you. And he's forgiving me. We are the soldier. We are the centurion. We have the hammer and the nail in our hand. We're looking for the weak spot. We raise the hammer and we pound it down. And Jesus says, despite that, I give you my grace. And now go do it in the lives of others. Go be a sea of forgiveness. Be an ocean of forgiveness. Be a universe of forgiveness. Wider, deeper, broader, vaster than you can ever imagine. Yes, it's hard work, friends. Yes, it's hard work to forgive the abuse. Yes, it's hard work to forgive the words spoken. Yes, it's hard to forgive the vindictive things that that have been done. And when others have done them too, yes, it's hard to forgive. But as we do, and this is the beauty of the other side of the despair of unforgiveness, is as we do, we have an example actually here. We have Bill. Bill knows what forgiveness is. Bill knows what grace is. He knows what it is in his life and he can stand up here and we can all look on him with such love as his life being a testimony of grace. Why? Because when we live into grace in the same way, unforgiveness is a testimony. Grace is so much more of a testimony. Friends, live into grace. I'm gonna ask you right now, on your paper, beside the doodle of me looking silly with a funny face or whatever else you did during the sermon, I want you to just put a name. Who is that person that needs your forgiveness? And if it's your name, write it down. And as we walk through this next seven weeks of Lent, if you do nothing else, If you do nothing else with thinking about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you think about how vast, how wide, how deep the forgiveness of Jesus Christ has been in your life, how deep his grace is, and now he calls you to go do likewise, and you are going to pursue being a person of grace in the lives of that name. If you've done that, it's been a spectacular Lent. Let's pray. Father, forgive us, for we do not know what it is that we are doing. We pray, Father, that the heart that you have to forgive all the sin that you have, much greater and vaster than we could ever think of or imagine, all the pain the pride, the hurt, 
Father, that depth of grace and love can soak us, wash us, that we can be so immersed in that grace that it washes away our spirit of anger, of unforgiveness, of being so hurt that we hold on to that pain until the justice that we want comes. Father, loosen our grip. Loosen our grip. Soak us down so much that it's loose and we can let it go unto you and live into the freedom, the life, and the beauty of the forgiveness that you have given us. Now we can give it to others. I pray, Father, for those folks who are sitting here thinking about that name, that person, that situation, maybe even thinking about themselves. I pray, Father, that you come come upon them with your love and your grace and say, I will be with you. I'll be with you as you walk this through. I'll be with you in the conversations ahead. I'll be with you as you dig into scripture. I'll be with you as you pray. I'll be with you as you walk through the hard things of forgiveness. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never let you go. Pray that you come alongside those folks who are willing to walk this through. Strengthen them for the hard task ahead. Encourage them, Father. Guide them. Because, Lord, this is hard. But you've done it already, and you can show us how to do it too. Christ, we pray, amen.